Welcome to the CLB Forge Podcast. This is the show to help equip you and your church for mission, ministry, and multiplying disciples. Here are your hosts, Pastor Mike Natal and Dr. Ryan Nilsson. Hello and welcome to episode 48. This is another Ryan and Mike special, the Church on Track series. And we are on breakdown number seven, and it is the final breakdown. All right, that's good. I like how we were a half step up, too. That was nice. We're giving it to the listeners, you know? So they wanted to hear some more singing. We're giving it to them. And we're really close, Ryan. We are only two episodes away from episode 50. And spoiler alert, we already recorded at the time of us recording this, we've already recorded episode 49. So that's right. We're there, bro. So the next time we're recording, it'll be episode 50. That's amazing. That's exciting. We're there, man. I mean, I don't know about you, but did you expect us to last this long? I don't think our listeners did. I was pretty excited when we got to episode seven. Totally, man. Remember how big of a deal we made of that? Because you were like, the average podcast doesn't make it past episode seven. Yeah. And you were like, we made it. We don't even have to do any more and I'll feel successful. So now we're almost at episode 50. How do you feel? Don't answer that because I'm going to ask you that at the next time we record. I'm looking forward to reflecting on where we've been and where we're going in episode 50. I think it's going to be a good episode. Me too. And some surprises and some reasons why you should tune in. Yeah, it's going to be worth it. We promise. We might have a giveaway. And by a giveaway, I mean, Ryan might open up his wallet and give away $5. Oh, why do you always say that? No, let's go. We want you to be really pumped and excited with low expectations, right? That's kind of the best of both worlds. Set the bar as low as possible and realize that we're not limboing. You're actually going to step over the bar. (laughs) That's good. There you go. Okay, so today, Ryan, we're continuing on our Church on Track series, where we look at ways that you can keep your church on the right track, joining God in his mission. Speaking of which, if you want more information about mission, episode 46 two episodes prior to this, we sat down with Dr. Matheson and he talked all about missions. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, why don't you pause it, go backwards, give Dr. Matheson a listen, and then come back and listen to this episode. Uh, It was a great episode with him. We're really happy that he sat down with us to talk through mission. And so we want to make sure that we give you guys the tools in order to help your church stay on the right track, joining God in his mission and how to avoid the traps that can get us off track. We've started the series by working on like seven common breakdown areas. And today we're going to finish the last breakdown. And so just to kind of recap, I want to go through those seven areas. And if you've missed any of these and you want to pause this and go backwards, you can listen to the previous episodes. They're clearly marked of which ones are the breakdown episodes. And so if you'd like to hear more of these, you can just Stop what you're doing, go backwards and re-listen. So time out. How many times are you going to tell people not to listen to this episode? Yeah, I mean, I'm not telling them not to listen to it, but I'm saying like we're building onto something great. And so if you've missed the foundational building blocks of it right now, we're just kind of putting a roof on. But if you want to learn how to make a bathroom or you want to learn how to lay foundation or you want to learn how to put the joists in so that the house is structurally sound, you're going to want to go back. You're going to want to check out those other six that we've been through because now we're just kind of putting the roof on okay all right carry okay. on carry on my carry on. wayward son no see we're gonna get flagged so bad 
for copyright infringement on this episode. All right. So anyway, here's the six leading up to the seven. So the first one is leadership. The second one is Optimus Prime. Oh, the second one is transformational spirituality. And I related that to a transformer. The third one is Worship, a little rabbit trail. You remember that Michael W. Smith CD called Worship? No. You need to go. Dude, I'm a musically ignorant. Are you? Like, you would not believe. That Michael W. Smith album, I kid you not, that was my favorite album when I was in high school. I listened to that all the time. Straight fire. If you've never listened to Michael W. Smith Worship, I'm not going to say pause this episode and go listen to it, but you should definitely listen to it after this episode. I don't worship Michael W. Smith. I worship Jesus. I'm not saying worship Michael no, W. Smith. Exactly it's what his you said. worship album. Here we go. All right. Next one is evangelism and mission. The fifth one is WandaVision or maybe just straight up vision. Sixth one is functional structures. And then the last one, the final breakdown for this section is leading change. And so today we have our expert, Dr. Nielsen here to give us a little bit more information about this seventh breakdown, which is leading change. So Ryan, do you want to give us a little bit more information about it before I start asking you questions about it? No, I just want to say I'm really excited about this, but I hope you have low expectations for this episode. And great overview Our Church on Track series, this is completing the second of, I think, three sections. So we have another seven-part series that we'll start in a few more episodes. And that's going to be about seven shifts to make in your ministry that will help you stay on track or get back on track. So that's our, I think, our final section of the Church on Track series. Maybe. Maybe not. I know we may think of some way to keep it going. Yeah, we might do a fourth (laughs) one with seven as well. Yeah. How many seven part series can you think of? It could be like the seven train cars of your church. But didn't we do train cars in the last? Uh, Okay. So anyway, Ryan, let's talk about leading change. So in a church setting, why is change necessary? Change is necessary in our churches. And it's difficult. We'll get into that in a second, but it really is important. And the main reason is that our mission field is continually changing. Therefore, the way we talk about the gospel, the way we do ministry, that has to be continually changing. It has to be adapting because those whom we are trying to disciple, those with whom we are trying to share Jesus, the way they take in information, their values, their language, their experiences, that is always changing. Not just generation to generation, but within a handful of years. And we're in a season right now where we're 14, 15 months into COVID. Our culture has changed like in a very rapid way over the last year. And so sometimes that change can happen very, very quickly. And if we don't change, our churches will eventually die because I mean, we see it in scripture that if we aren't faithful to the mission that God's given to us, God may remove that lampstand the signatures of what makes us a church if we're not pursuing his mission. If we have some other agenda on our plate, at some point we stop being the church. And so we we don't want to ever be in that place. So change is a part of making sure that we are remaining faithful. Now, sometimes people think, oh, change is all about you're going to walk away from your faith if you make changes in your church. I would say we make changes to the way we do ministry in order to remain faithful. And I'm not talking about theology, but I'm talking about our practices. And uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. So one of the changes that I'm going to actively make, for many of you, I don't know if you know this or not, but my lovely, gorgeous, spectacular, sunshine of my existence wife 
is the editor of our podcast. She has the tactful ability of telling me, Mike, you know that you pretty much say like some stuff over and over again. And so one of these changes, necessary changes and leading by change is she told me that when guests finish talking, I say, yeah, and then have a little encouraging interjection. So I'm not getting rid of the yeah, but I am not going to encourage anybody after what they say. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I enjoy that a lot that Lindsay sees that and she says, you know, you tend to say the same stuff. And so now I'm coming in with new catchphrases. So as we go into episode 50, we are going to have Mike newly invigorated with new catchphrases. (laughs) And here's my second lead with change. You're going to be able to really witness this on the YouTube video, but I'm going to broadcast this whole episode with my collar popped because I'm leading by change, baby. Boy, I think you really captured the essence of this. Yeah. That's what I do. I capture essence. That's just who I am as a person. I am the essence of capturing essence. All right, Ryan. So let me ask you a question. Why is change hard? So before you answer that, I want to tell you one of the things that I struggle with with change is when I think of something to change, especially within a church setting, one of the things that I initially think of right off the bat is what if I change something and it upsets someone so they leave? Yeah. Or I do something that makes church too different for them and it affects their worship. So why is change hard? Well, you just answered it right there. One of the reasons change is hard is because it can cause pain in our relationships. It can cause conflict. Sometimes as church leaders, we get a false idea of what our job is. Sometimes we think our calling means we're to protect everything about the church and keep it the same. Sometimes we think our job is to keep people happy. And really, that's not the calling that we see in the Bible for a church leader. So change is hard because some of those kind of painful situations can happen. So change in a church is the result of being able to take in new information, new ideas, new opportunities, make adjustments in our ministry. When we don't do that, we ossify and die. You know, we literally become a skeleton. We stop living. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold and up. Hold up. Stop what? for a second. Did you just talk about an ostrich? Ossify. What's the word ossify? It means you turn to bone. Like an- it means you turn to bone. Oh, all right. A living so, thing thank you. turns into calcium. So wouldn't that be calcify? I guess you could say calcify. I like the word ossify. Dude, I love the word ossify. Isn't that a cool I'm gonna, one? I'm going to use that all the time. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to use it, but I'm going to use you it. You probably should use the word calcify. So churches need to make changes in order to remain living and thriving and vibrant. We have to take in new ideas and consider them. And we don't just change for the sake of change, but sometimes it becomes clear it's time to make a change in this area. When we make decisions and when we make changes, that means loss and rejection for somebody. So change is hard because when change is happening, people experience loss. Change is hard because there may be a, a level of comfort or a preference for the way things are. You may have people that like things just the way they are. So if you change it, you're upsetting that. You also have other people, it's just change is hard. Change means you have to learn something new. You have to learn to get used to something that you were already used to. And so if you just, you think about that in other aspects of, of life, I noticed the older I get, the more disruptive that is in my life. Like I'm an iPhone user and I am getting old enough now that I notice when iPhone makes a big change to the way their operating system 
system works to make it better and more intuitive, I have a harder time adjusting to it because I just got a handle on how to use the last iteration of it. And then they change it. I think we can experience that kind of frustration in all areas of life, including ministry. Change can feel disloyal to the saints of the past. If we change a ministry or end it, we can feel like we're betraying or failing a hero in our church that mentored us or was a grandparent, you know, or was one of the founding elders or pastor, and we can feel like we've let them down. Another reason change is hard is that change can lead to conflict when people confuse their personal preferences with biblical absolutes. In other words, they think that things that are really about what they prefer, they mistakenly think these are biblical absolutes that must be done this way. And so what we expect from our pastors, the way that we worship, the way we decorate the church, the way we use the building, church government, the types of ministries that we're going to have, a lot of those things are about personal preference and they're not detailed specifically in the Bible. So that's where we we have to be clear that we can't confuse form and function, right? So function is purpose, the purpose of the church, our theology, what we believe, that can never change. So the, the function of the church, the purpose never changes, but the form, the way we carry it out, needs to gradually, continually make adjustments and shifts. When we mix those up, problems happen. Like some churches, are they're willing to change their theology, but not their style of worship or their dress code. It's, you know, they'll change what they believe about the Bible, but they won't change how they communicate with the surrounding community. And that's bad. That gets it all backwards. That's fascinating that they would compromise theology before compromising habits. Yeah. But that's who we are as human beings. We are habitual individuals that would much rather not upset the fruit basket. It's unfortunate that in our minds, theology changing seems so much more comfortable than changing the worship style, a paint job. Yeah. I noticed you wrote dress code, but you omitted it because obviously it might pop collar, <laughs> clergy expectations, yeah. church government, all of those things. Isn't it amazing how our fleshly nature would just assume compromise scripture before looking at these? things to change. Do you have any practical ways in order to maybe help people who are listening to this saying, you know, I would love to see something change in my church. Do you have any practical ways of kind of helping them through that? Yeah, absolutely do. And kind of in two different groupings. And today's uh, focus on change I really want to talk about it from the perspective of a church that's trying to get back on track, that may be off track or broken down when it comes to change. First of all, go check out episode three, and we are we talk about seven ways to lead change in your church. So those are some kind of basics, and I'll touch on those in a minute. And by the way, we're going to do more episodes about change because it's a huge part of leadership. It's a huge part of Christian leadership, and it's one of the hardest things. So we want to keep providing you resources for leading change effectively. So first set of tips I've got, watch out for these avoidance tactics. So you you can make all kinds of great efforts to lead change, but there may be some factors present in your church that you need to be aware of so you can help mitigate them. And these are things that are maybe going on below the surface that are actually making it difficult for you to engage healthy change. So one of them is denial. And this is kind of an internal gut check that you need to take as a leader. Um, you may be practicing an avoidance tactic called denial, where the problem isn't about you or your leadership or the church. The problem is out there. It's external. It's not about a problem that the church has. It's not that the church needs to change. It's someone else's fault, or there's a, a hastiness to blame others or explain away the situation. Oftentimes, a church that's struggling and needs to make changes can very quickly tell you why things aren't going well. And often the list of reasons why things aren't going well are about things that they don't have responsibility 
responsibility for? Well, the community really isn't the same anymore. The people we used to know moved out, or I think we need a different pastor. It's this happened, then that happened, and so we just never got around to dealing with this. So one thing to internally check, am I in denial about the situation? And therefore, I, I'm resisting changing, I'm avoiding changing, because I'm kidding myself and telling myself that everything's fine, and I don't bear any responsibility for the situation we're in. I think it's so freeing to acknowledge that we're imperfect, we're sinful, we're broken, we like to be the ones solving problems, but sometimes we contribute to them. And acknowledging that we may be responsible for some of the challenges we're facing, I think that frees us up to try something new and different. Another one to watch out for is complex organizational structures. And not just churches, but I think all human organizations, when they are in the decline, they tend to get more and more complicated. And this is an avoidance tact done in order to avoid a painful change. We can actually avoid making difficult decisions and hard change by adding committees and doing more planning and studying this and that. And we actually delay decisions and taking action. Another avoidance tactic is a parking lot decision-making process where decisions aren't actually made by the people in leadership roles or at business meetings, but they're made informally outside of meetings by influential people in the church. And so some are excluded from those conversations and they may happen between friends or long-serving colleagues or family members but that wind up excluding people, that can be an avoidance tactic in dealing with change. And then lastly, another avoidance tactic that happens is when we have leaders that refuse to participate after we've agreed to make a change, or they remain in leadership, don't cooperate, but they remain in their role to reverse the changes later on. So if your church agrees to make a change, and like, let's say we're going to have worship practice so that our worship sounds better. So we're going to start asking our worship teams to practice. And you have a worship leader that says, I don't want to do that. It's good enough the way it is. And I just... I don't want to get up earlier or come out an extra night to practice. And so me and my team, we're not going to practice. Then you're in a situation where as like the leader of the church or whatever, you would say, all right, well, hey, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you for your time serving as a worship leader. You know, we've agreed that our leaders are going to do this. And if you feel like someday you can practice, we'd love to have you back. So that'd be kind of a healthy response where you hold people to levels of accountability and expectations. And when they push back on you, you don't give ground. So what happens often, and I, I'm guilty of this, like if if you're in that same made-up situation with the worship leader, it's very tempting to say, okay, well, this leader isn't going to practice. The others are. This one's just not going to do it, and we'll just have to live with that and move on. That's a situation where when you're trying to bring excellence to an area of ministry, a leader can refuse to participate, and it can really kind of hobble the church and prevent some healthy growth from happening. Other times, what can happen too is leaders can not be in agreement with a change, not help out, but the real challenge comes when they remain in their leadership role or simply to be in a position when later on down the road, if there's an opportunity to reverse the change, they're in a leadership role in order to reverse it. So I think early on in a change process is not the most vulnerable time. The very beginning, you make a change. It's somewhere in that middle time where you've implemented a change for a while and things seem to be going well. And maybe there's a, a, a stumble or two. You hit a couple roadblocks. That's when it's really vulnerable to change because that's when somebody speaks up and says, you know what? I've been concerned about this for a while. I thought we should try it, but I really feel like we need to go back to the way we used to do it. This is long enough. And so instead of trying out a new 
course of action for a new ministry initiative for three or four years. It's tried for three or four months. And then the first time there's a problem, there's that person is there to speak up and say, let's get things back to the way they are. This can happen too in pastoral transitions. So if you as a pastor want to do something and church agrees to it, somebody doesn't like it, when that pastor leaves, they may step up and try to get things changed back to the way they like it. It's interesting to think through them because one of the things that I wonder if some of our listeners would be struggling with is so like take that scenario that you just used with the worship leader it's obvious on sunday morning that you guys can't just throw it together you need to spend a little bit of time practicing so what happens if you don't have another person who's willing to lead in your church and by you telling the worship leader well if that's the case we need to go someplace else what if you don't have another option and i think that's very often the case right then i think it's a matter of choosing the battles you may be in a situation where you have no choice you know sometimes there are options that are there but they're really really painful you know where they, they come at a high cost and sometimes you have to live with the situation the way it is i think the situations where you can do something Thing about it though is I think to, at least in my experience as a pastor there are many times when I decide not to hold a leader accountable to a change that we all agreed to make as a group and not because there's no one else to do it but because I don't want them to be mad at me I don't want my relationship with them to suffer and so I mean this used to be a real a real challenge for me I think God's been doing a lot of work in this but I used to be a people pleaser yeah I can tell you that that's not you anymore Ryan having worked with you you definitely are just willing to let it hang out and tell me what I'm doing wrong all the time. Thanks, Mike. I think. Love you, bud. Love you too, man. But I used to have this approval-based leadership mindset that I judged how I was doing in my calling by whether or not people were happy with me. And that's like the worst way to be a pastor or any kind of Christian leader, I think. It wasn't those you know, other choice situations, but it's the ones where I decided not to advocate for what was best for the church because I selfishly wanted this person to like me. And I let that be more important than what was best for the church. So in those situations, those are the ones where I think it's it's good to say, hey, you know, if we're raising the bar, someone's not going to be up for that. And that's okay. You, just, you have to be ready to make that okay for that person and for you and just say, hey, I totally understand. This isn't what you signed up for. I wish it wasn't this way, but unfortunately, that means you won't be able to serve in this role at this point while you're not able to make that kind of a commitment. And you just say, hey, I, I understand. It's nothing personal. And I know this isn't how we were doing it before, but because this is what we've agreed to do, we'll need to find someone else to do this. So this can happen a lot. I know I use worship. probably does happen a lot with worship. I think it happens a lot with small groups where you want to lead your small groups to do something in particular. And one of the group leaders may not agree to do it, like training. If you want to introduce training, to improve how your leaders lead small groups, chances are someone's not going to want to do it. And then you're going to be like faced with this question, well, are we going to say training is required? And if you don't receive it, you can't continue as a leader. I think that that's a great segue too into our last question, which is how you handle change. Kind of the last set of tips here, we're going to talk about changing how you handle change. So I would say, first of all, remember the basic steps of leading change from episode three, the actual episode three. Mike, can you just go through those eight steps for us? It's amazing like how in ingrained episode three is into my brain, I can just remember it vivid. I don't even need the television behind you. I can literally just remember what they are. I don't know how. The first one is prayer. And you want to pray for wisdom and you want to pray for courage. Step number two is to create a sense of urgency. 
This is great. It's almost as if you're reading this off of a Word document on your screen. I would almost get that impression. You know, I was actually thinking the exact same thing. Just recalling your experience of that episode. Yeah, I'm recalling that experience. It's almost like I'm reliving it right now, just talking to you about it. So three is building support. And number four, engage with the responses and fear of people. So making sure you're aware how people are feeling through this change. Number five, over communicate. And I think I made a little interjection of when we had foster kids, one of the most important things about teaching your kids is pre-teaching. So not trying to deal with stuff in the moment, but preparing them for when that moment happens and then talking them through it as it happens. Number six, let's throw a party. Celebrate good times. Come on. Nice. Uh, Number seven is you want to project hope and excitement. And then eight, this one's a tough one. And I know that it had two F's in it. I want to say it's something about form and function. Boy, you got it. It's amazing. Your recall is amazing. Oh, man. So go and listen to episode three if you want to hear more about those things. Today, when we talk about changing how you handle change, I want to talk about some factors that might especially be present in a church that's struggling. You know, keep in mind those eight steps. Those are great. There's all kinds of other ways to break down the way you lead change. I just want to zero in on a couple of specific things that if you're in a church that's plateaued or declining, these are some things that you may want to especially focus on. So one is reducing the levels of complacency and comfort. It is almost impossible to get a change to happen if everybody's comfortable with the way things are. People feel no urgency to do it. Uh, Usually the the saying is that people will only change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. If people are very satisfied with the way things are and very comfortable, you may have to do some things to intentionally lower the level of comfort. And another way to put that is creating a sense of urgency. But in particular in a struggling church, it might be reducing the level of comfort so that people see you're not like making up a situation. You're helping them see reality. As a leader, we often see things that the congregation doesn't notice yet. But we can see like, okay, things seem fine right now, but I know if we don't change this and this, there's trouble on the horizon. So helping people see that there is a need for this new thing or there's a need for this change, that's really important. And creating urgency, need, that even a sense of crisis, that might be necessary to make the change happen. Another thing is to develop a theology of change. And again, I think we already talked about that in this episode. It's the idea that the purpose of the church never changes our beliefs, our mission, our theology. That does not change. But the way we express our the way we express our ministry, the way we carry out our ministry, the way we communicate the gospel, that needs to change as our mission field changes. Another one is to be ready to shoulder disappointment on the behalf of your church. So if you're a church leader, this is really for you. Be ready to be the focus of disappointment for the sake of your church. And I think, Mike, you, you brought this up before, right? We sometimes like to avoid change because we know we're going to experience some pain and loss in our relationships. And so instead of us as leaders personally suffering because we make a decision we know some people will not like, we let the church suffer instead. There's a saying, I think it's peace at all costs. Sometimes we become peace at all costs leaders. One of the things we're willing to sacrifice for peace in our church is the future of our church. 
Whenever you make a change, someone's not going to be happy. It doesn't matter what the change is, right? And during COVID, we see that all the time. No matter what you decide about what policy or guideline or procedure, someone's not happy with it. And as a leader, you just have to be ready. That's a gift you're making to the church, that you're willing to let people be mad at you. Another tip here would be to listen to the dissenters and care for them, but resist the urge to stop the change because of them. Some churches operate on a squeaky wheel principle where if you want to shut down something, all you have to do is act offended and you get your way. And when we allow that pattern of behavior to take place, I mean, that's just, it creates such an unhealthy culture in our church. So we have to be very careful. Not just in churches, though. That transcends a lot of other things too, Ryan. Absolutely. And then the last thing I would say, and this is kind of like a note of courage, I want to end on this point, like be willing to risk failure. Be willing to try something and it doesn't work out. Make your church a place where that's okay. And when something doesn't work out, you can thank the Lord that you tried. You can celebrate what did happen through that or what you learned through it, but be willing to risk failure. You're going to have to try new expressions of ministry, and some of them aren't going to work out. Maybe many of them won't work out. You know, I was just visiting a church plant that has a, an exciting children's ministry program, and it's just so cool and exciting to see all these kids and families being ministered to. But I can tell you behind that, it was a lot of trial and error. Getting to that point, the road was kind of paved with trying something, it didn't work, trying something out, else it didn't work and so on and so on. So don't be afraid of trying something new, facing failure, and moving on from it. Solid. One of the quotes that I always butcher that gets attributed to Abraham Lincoln that goes really well with this is this, and I'm just going to read it off of my phone because otherwise I'm going to forget about it. So allegedly Abraham Lincoln said this. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's either Abraham Lincoln or Gandalf or Martin Luther, one of the three. So here's what it says. You can please some of the people, some of the time, all of the people, some of the time, some of the people all the time, but you can never please all the people all the time. And so it's important to remember that too, with change, realize that when you change, you're not going to please everyone, but also realize that the opposite is also true. By not changing, you're also not pleasing people too. Yeah, that's a great point. It really goes to show sometimes you have to make what seems like a difficult decision in order to continue to push and propel yourself forward as a congregation. And it might not always go over the best with everyone but sometimes it needs to be done. So Ryan, thank you so much for your insight into this final part to part two of three, potentially more. <laughs> Not at all confusing. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like one of those movies where you know that it's only either supposed to have one movie in order to carry it all out or three movies. And then they break down the third movie into a two-parter and you're like, really? So hopefully our listeners don't feel that way. But I know that we've heard from a lot of people about how much they appreciate your insight on a lot of these Church on Tracks. And Church on Track, for some people, are their favorite part of our podcast, which is great. Awesome. And so I'm glad that people are using them. They're taking what they're learning and they are practically applying it into their ministries, which is great to hear. I do want to share a few resources. So this is one of my favorite topics, you know, just because it's, I love books, but, and you could listen to this episode over again, or you could read one of these amazing books. This is one of these topics that I'm fascinated with. And so I like to read lots of different resources on it. I want to share a couple of books from the corporate world that are really good. First, John P. Cotter, 
on what leaders really do. Now that is to say a plain, simple title. The answer is leaders influence change. And so the book is about how you lead change successfully. The next one is Leadership on the Line by Heifetz and Linsky. So you may say, well, I only want to read a Christian book on the topic. These two books get referenced in all the Christian books on leading change. So there's a lot of principles in here that are really applicable. Here in this book, one of the main things is understanding all the ways that people try to sabotage you when you lead change, including the way you can sabotage yourself. Leading Change in the Congregation by Gilbert Rendell. This is an oldie, but a goodie from the Alban Institute. This is a great all-around Christian leadership book called In Pursuit of Great and Godly Leadership by Mike Bonham. And this is a book where basically he looks at some principles that you learn from the corporate world are really, really helpful in ministry. But he also deals with, you know, there's this backlash against, you know, you don't want to just use business practices in a church. It's not a business. So he walks this nice balance line of here's what we can learn from the corporate world and incorporate biblical principles in how we lead our churches. So all kinds of great topics. Like if you don't want to read a book about leading change and you want to read a chapter, read this. Another one here is called Change is Like a Slinky. And this is a Christian book about leading change. And actually, I wonder if we can get this guy on our show. I'm going to ask him. Hans Finzel. He's one of my professors. So he has his own change process that he walks people through. And last one I want to share is actually kind of like a novel, Who Stole My Church? Written by Gordon McDonald. And he's one of my one of my heroes. Who Stole My Church is a kind of a narrative of some church members that see changes happening in their church when a new pastor shows up. There's some things that happen that they don't like. The pastor isn't dealing with it well either. He's kind of made changes and he's avoiding people. And finally, they, I don't want to give away the ending, but they learn how to interact with each other about the changes the church is experiencing. I think that's a great book discussion. If your church is going through a major project like a building campaign or at planting a church or adding services and things are changing significantly, Having a book study like this available where people can read through this and talk about what they're reading and reflect on how it relates to what they're experiencing, going through a conversation like this can help people process the pain of change that they're experiencing, but in a, in a really healthy way. You just wanted me to thank you twice, didn't you? I just can't get enough of that. I do like words of affirmation, Mike. Well, there you go. Ryan, you did a spectacular job today. I'm sure our listeners would agree with that. And I'm so appreciative once again for you sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you to our listeners for tuning into our show today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be notified when the next podcast becomes available. Usually we try to drop them on Tuesdays and we'd love it if you could share the podcast with a friend or a colleague and be prepared for episode 50. We're getting there. Yeah. All right, guys, have a great day. See you. Thanks, everybody. This has been an episode of the CLB Forge podcast with Pastor Mike Natal and Dr. Ryan Nilsson. Thanks for listening. We welcome your questions and comments. Email us at podcast at clbforge.org.